dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, we call him Roots. He is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio. The man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, the professor, the writer, jamartisby.substack.com. Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, bro? If you call me Roots, I'm going to call you the man that makes it happen. Nah, man. <laughs> who, okay, let's talk about this. Somebody commented on Jamar's... Okay, no disrespect. I don't know who you are. I, I probably know you if I saw you. But listen, someone commented on Jamar's picture of me. He said, Mr. Blue Check verified for him and Mr. Make It Happen. <laughs> Who, when did we decide that was my thing? That's a kind of cool nickname, Mr. Make It Happen. No. It's like you get things done. No, no. Yeah. I feel like there's an like online chef that's called Mr. Make It Happen or something like that. I don't well, like the connotation of that. I like I don't the way like you cook up sounds. conversations for us every no, week. On I don't the like podcast. how it sounds. No. <laughs> no. Mr. Make It Happen. No. No, I'm 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 good. I'm good. <laughs> I'll just be Tyler. That's okay. Anyway, bro. So today we're gonna do something fun. We, we, we have a fun Tyler. episode. I don't know how to call it in a way that's not colonized. Okay, I don't know a decolonized go. way of calling it this. Uh huh. But so everybody is sports. What you like sports, right? Yeah. You like football, college football. College that's football. Kind of so if if I were to say who are your your favorite college players, you would share some players. I say, oh, that's your Mount Rushmore. Right? Oh, like that's like your yeah. Mount Rushmore, your best, your favorites. Uh huh. And I don't know how to say it. Listen, I recognize the stolen ground. I, I get mean, it. You know, I get it. The actual Mount Rushmore. I get it. I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm built just on saying, stolen land. They, Allie's coming in there. Glorifying. I'm just saying. Okay, know, our top four. Okay, man. is that better? Our our top four. I think top four is better. Okay, but but the was, way you pitched it was your ministry mountain Rushmore. But that's I was just it's a shorthand, just like saying it. the goat. I get it. I'm just saying. And they're not goats, they're not literal goats. Right? You, you're like, woke though, so you should know. <laughs> anyway, okay, I top four. <laughs> fine, I'll, I'll, I'll put it. So the premise is this, and I, I do this because every time we record a series of episodes, I like to talk about people who are still living and give them their flowers. And so some of these people will still be living. Some of them will have passed on. But I like to honor people um, in who they are and what they've done specifically. And so today, I want us to give our four top, our top four, top four groups that have uh, influenced our ministry, hmm. influenced why we do what we do. So I broke them down into categories. Jamar didn't, of so did. it's fine. Like you Listen, know, I'm just trying to. If y'all don't know, I'm trying to Tyler systematize loves my his thoughts. lists. The whole I'm cultural artifacts thing. I'm just trying to organize my thoughts. Was Tyler and every also time, Kangs, Kangs, Kangs as well. So four, <laughs> this is it. Our, our four people who have influenced our ministry the most. Our top four. We're not going to call it. Yeah, the other thing. Okay, <laughs> right. but top four. So this is about giving honor to people who have gone before us or people who are still in our lives. Maybe we know them, maybe we don't, but it's a way of extending flowers and appreciation to them. I believe that that should be a part of PTM. We should always do that. We should always be shouting out, bigging up people oh. who are doing the work and doing. Can what we they do honorable do. mentions too? Yeah, we can do honorable okay. mentions. But let's start with uh, 
I'll, you go ahead and start, Jamal. No, you gotta no, start. No, this no, no, your... no, 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 no. I did the intro. Okay. I did the intro. It's gonna throw off the balance of the show. <laughs> Let me host. Let me cook. This man. is your. This is your baby. Your okay. Here we go. So All right. You. Who's the first person that you feel like has influenced you and has shaped the way you do life, ministry, the way you experience Jesus, all the above? I've got to preface this by saying that when I was in my and still am to a degree, in my decolonizing journey. Okay. Speaking of Christianity, unlearning the whiteness that was infused to so much of the Christianity that I learned, my mentors were mainly historical. Right. Mainly people that I was reading about um, and, and the way they lived their life. So prefacing that to say most of my folks are past, uh, they're long since deceased, but they learning about them has shaped the way I try to. But they don't also myself. all have to be black. Like mine are all necessarily black. But if you want them to be, that's cool. But go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, the first one, and, and I also feel, so here's the disadvantage. You're always <laughs> so like creative and off the wall with Mine, mine aren't really creative. Mine aren't really creative. They're just straightforward. My list just looks like a kindergarten writing in crayon, No, it doesn't. Stop, stop. Here we stop go. Stop doing the self-loathing. My, I'm just saying, this is definitely um, your area, and I love to hear your choices. Let's mine go. are fairly straightforward. The first one is going to be Ida B. Wells. Okay. Yes. What I love about Ida B. Wells, I mean, she's an investigative journalist. She's forced to become that as she's dealing with tragedy and injustice in her own life. But what she embodies to me is speaking truth to power, hmm. a commitment to black people and black uplift. And so what I appreciate about her is her boldness and her courage. I mean, it was her writing. She wrote like an op-ed and it got her newspaper building burned down in her run out of town mm. in wow. Memphis. To me, it's an example of so much of what I've had to do in my own life, what we've had to do through the ministry of the witness and past the mic is saying hard but true things to people who don't necessarily want to hear it and doing it anyway, not because we were so concerned about the reaction or the yeah. response, but because we were concerned about the people being affected namely black people. And I just think Ida B. Wells lived that with integrity to the point of literally putting her life on the line just to write. Hmm. I mean, she's not out there toting guns leading an army, right? She's, she's, she's still on the front lines with her words. And I think so much of what we do and what I've tried to do is built on that legacy. Yeah of telling that truth through words, through research, through knowledge and information, through spreading awareness to hopefully instigate change. That's dope, man. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, Ida Bay Wells, as I like to call her. You know? Like, of course. Like she's one of the one of the goats, man. Absolutely. And I I think if you do this work and this type of work, especially using your words well, then she in in the black Christian space, especially she's so, one sure. of the foremost yeah. in, you know influences and foremost people to mention. Okay, so I broke mine down in four different categories, right? So I broke you mine broke. in life, thought or theology, preaching and ministry. Those are my four categories. Life, thought, life, thought, thought. ministry and theology, or okay. ministry, and, ministry and preaching. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, thought can be theology, but you know. We'll, we'll just keep it as that. So let's start with life, right? 
And I actually want to honor, you know, I got to break the rules. If I created the rules, I can break them. <laughs> um, I want to honor two couples that have really shaped the way I live and also helped me to live more thoughtfully. The first um, couple is one that is no stranger, no strangers to the show. Uh, Dr. Micah and Dr. Dr. Yes. Christina and what moves me about the Edmondsons in particular is they have this very uncanny balance and rhythm to where I've never seen them flat-footed or off balance. Hmm. It's very strange. Like hmm. I've been in their house. Like I've, <laughs> I've, I've been on trips with them. I've seen them in different settings and I haven't seen them off balance or flat footed. Mm. And it's almost sometimes like, what's going on here? <laughs> like it, and, and I think they just live so intentionally, so deliberately their balance of weighty things and also joyful things, their balance of communication in tandem, uh, their balance of family and ministry. Complementing skills. Complementing skills, how they let their children and their daughters flourish. Mm. Um, how they incorporate the, their previous generations within their house. Mm. I mean, just things that I'm like, this is very challenging. Whenever I'm around them, it's like very challenging to hear them. Also, the patience and the kindness in which they speak, uh, their, aff- their affirming words, their affirmation, they just, they just motivate me from a, a, a little bit of a distance because obviously they're friends, but it's not like, ah, you know, we talk all the time. We're friends. Yeah. But like it, it, from a, from a distance, they very much so motivate me. Yeah. Um, exactly to live well, to minister well, to pour into my family, love my family, learn from my family. Yeah, I think the Edmondsons definitely deserve the flowers. That's a marriage book I would actually read. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> not very many, right? No. Like, there's not. There's probably like two that I've even used that I would say, oh, these are decent. But like, yeah, know? yeah. But theirs I would definitely read, especially from a black marriage perspective. And then. Uh, the second couple is uh, one of my mentors is Sandra Van Opsel, Pastor mm. Sandra Van Opsel. Shout out, and, yes. And uh, Carl and Sandra Van Opsel are definitely, like, they are definitely people who have shaped my life. Mm. And Carl and Sandra, I've, I know their kids, um, interacted with their family, been over to their house, probably the, the house I've been over to more than any other house. Outside of my own, nice. you know? yeah. Um, just their hospitality, their stewardship, their generosity. Mm. I remember the first time I went to their house. I was like, "This is fake," because literally they were so generous. They're like, "You want something to drink? You want some tea? You want some wine? You want some this? You want some?" I'm like, <laughs> "What?" Like, so every time I'm there, every time I sit down, it's like food and drink and conversation and interaction you're engaged like there's never not a time they're not engaging you with with hospitality and their entire ecosystem and how they live um it's just it's moved me how they spend their money how they keep their money Mm. all these things like what they invest in what they spend their time in and even the pace of life, because their pace of life is like very stretched. They've got two young kids. Mm. So like their pace of life is very stretched, but they still are doing the work. Yes, they are. So yeah, Leading anyway, 
Carl Carl Ostrowski and, and Sandra Van Opsel definitely I they're 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 a couple that I've learned so much from and Sandra's one of my mentors so yeah definitely them that's Shaped beautiful life. absolutely Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. What about you? Next, next category. <sighs> okay, I'm gonna put this toward the top so that we give them their proper due. Um, Tom Skinner, Bill Pinnell. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Of course, I knew those were coming. I you knew did. those were coming. I thought you were going to split them up, but let's, I mean, let's give it. So, yeah. So, I first heard about Tom Skinner probably around 2014, 2015. And it was for a speech he gave at the Urbana Triennial, Triennial Student Missions yeah. Conference in 1970. It's a classic. Um, Tom Skinner is a black evangelical in the classic sense of the word. Uh, he would have identified himself as an evangelical. Unfortunately, he died in his 50s um, in the early 90s. So um, a lot more that we could have seen from his ministry. But he already by that point had made really an indelible mark on evangelicalism, on American Christianity that most people in our generation and younger have never even heard of. Him. Right. Uh, but he was, just to give you context, and I don't appreciate this comparison, but just to let you know, the lane he was in, in one newspaper article, they called him the Black Billy Graham, has this incredible conversion that's story. A, that's a dope analog, um, though. That helps us to be analog. I mean, yeah, exactly. So you get a picture. Um, he had this dramatic conversion story from gang life to literal evangelist. And so he was never a pastor of a local church. He had an itinerant preaching ministry. And he would do essentially what Billy Graham did in terms of these big crusades, these big rallies, but he would focus and target it toward black people. So he was from Harlem, so he did uh, crusades there. He also went to the Caribbean and did some crusades there. And he just, like, even to this day, if you talk to a lot of black Christians, they'll say they came to faith under Tom Skinner's wow. ministry or they learned from him. <laughs> and it's just the, the dots that connect. And what I learned from him was... Uh, speaking truth to white evangelical power. Hmm. So that speech at Urbana in 1970, which by the way, when you break it down, he's actually using history. He starts all the way back in hmm. 1619 at the top of his speech and talks about a history of injustice and then sort of brings it back on white evangelicals and saying, in the midst of all that black people were going through, all you had was a Bible verse to throw at us. Wow. And if that, because I didn't see white evangelists white evangelists come into my hood, come into my neighborhood, hmm. come to my community. That was up to us. So that was for me, um, especially in that season of my life, when I'm starting to see for real, for real, how racism has a, a hold on these churches that I've been in 
and how I either had the choice to assimilate or to object. Mm-hmm. And Skinner was an example of somebody who did that, did it well, eloquently, all of that stuff. And I say Bill Pinnell, Bill Pinnell is still alive, yes. praise the Lord. He's in his 90s. And he was Tom Skinner's right-hand man. He was a lieutenant in the Tom Skinner Associates. Uh, he was the sort of ideological, philosophical, theological foundation for a lot of what Skinner then broadcast mm-hmm. um, publicly. And thank the Lord, Bill Pinnell has become one of my mentors. Mm-hmm. A first stumble upon him through researching Tom Skinner. And uh, the Pinnell Center at Fuller is named after him for, for African-American or black church studies. Um, he's he's still out there in Pasadena welcoming people to his yeah, home, yeah. pouring wisdom. I had the incredible honor of writing the new introduction to the re-release of his book, yeah. uh, The Coming Race, Race Wars. Wars. Yeah, yeah. And man, like... If I never picked up a pen again, I would feel accomplished, yeah. you know. So he is a marvelous example. He wrote in the late 1960s, I think it was 68, he wrote the book, My Friend the Enemy. Hmm. Hmm. You want to my, talk my, about my. speaking truth to evangelical power. This is even before Skinner's speech, wow. right? And he has always maintained that edge. Yeah, yeah. Like, we are not taking any BS. We are black and proud. And at, at the same time, incredibly kind, incredibly loving, yes, yes. and has been incredibly faithful ministering to and putting up with <laughs> a lot of white evangelicals. So to me, he's been a ministry model and exemplar of what it looks like to be true to your people true to your justice calling, and yet still loving, still tender-hearted yeah. and joyful. That's beautiful, man. I remember um, I remember when I got a Facebook message one day, and it said a guy named Bill Pinnell, he was listening to the podcast, he sent a Facebook message, talking about how much he was learning from it, how much he man. appreciated it. And to my shame, I didn't know who he was. And then I said it to you, he's like, Yo, what? Like, <laughs> Jay was like, huh? Pinnell's the man. I mean, just the intentionality of and the kindness and the humility of reaching out to yeah. a young, young dude doing this. At that time, I think I was in my twenties. You know, wow, man. wow, <laughs> man! You know, this elder, yeah, statesman, still sharp, man. still sharp, listening to the podcast. Goodness you know, gracious. so, and I feel like, man, I feel like you're the next them. Man. Whatever, whoever Tom Skinner and Bill Pinnell could be now as you. It's massive, bro. It's massive. Yeah, I, I so, believe it. I'm grateful for the chance to give them their flowers. Yes. Who you got up next? Okay, so moving from life to thought mm. and theology. And the person I want to acknowledge here is someone that I've had the privilege to get to know. And this is someone that I've, I've known from afar, gotten to know, and have done some work with. And I feel like it's a person who I have been moved by his, the way he thinks, the way he speaks, the way he articulates, and that's Dr. Kenyatta Gilbert. Ah, nice. So Dr. Kenyatta Gilbert is a professor of homiletics, and he's also the uh, overseer of the MDiv program at uh, Howard University Divinity School. Amazing. And he has written some classic preaching works. 
uh, the journey and promise of African-American preaching, Exodus preaching. Um, Dr. Gilbert is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And if you he's hear been him, on the show, yes, he's been on the show. Absolutely. Look up those episodes. And the thing about Dr. Gilbert that gets me is he is remarkably humble hmm. for someone who is that accomplished and gifted. And I remember when I sent him the speech I did at Q Ideas. And I sent it to him just because I wanted to know what he thought, right? You, you sent it to him afterwards or before? I sent it to him afterwards. Okay. Yeah, so after it was done, we were talking on the phone about something, catching up on stuff. And I, uh, you know, I just reached out to him. I was like, ah, you know, hey, Dr. Gilbert, can I send you something? You know, I just want to send, see what you thought. And his response, he sent me back three paragraphs of like response, oh you know, and it's uh, how busy he is yeah, and everything. That's significant. And with his work and with how he's catalog cataloging the black voice, hmm. it's just beautiful. But the thing about Dr. Gilbert that I love is he really thinks cogently and he's helped me to think along the lines of, how do you have a preaching, a ministry, a theology that also is expansive and inclusive, but that has a, an edge and has a, a tool belt that can cut in the right places? He's very precise. Um, he's very deliberate and intentional. And he is also how he reads the text. Is he pastoring right now? Where is he at? I don't believe he is. Okay. But he still, you know, preaches and things like that. And so this just the way in which he's and you, you'll see it. He's not stylistically. We're different. You know, I'm very mm. like, ah, you know, in the, in the pulpit. <laughs> he's very like, ch -ch -ch -ch, you know, like. Is very he Pentecostal? Like, no, I don't believe he is. No, I don't believe. I don't might believe explain that. some differences. Hey, man, it's okay. Like, what do you think? The only fire preachers are Pentecostals? Like, what are we doing here? What I just is, know that's where you got it. It's, it's stereotypical. But anyway, so I'll, I'll just say. He is the way he thinks, the way he processes. I feel like it's it's moved me, and his really what what moved me to to see that was his devotional. Hmm. I think it's called Just Living. Hmm. His devotional, and how he works through thinking about passages of scripture, and how he helps the reader think through and ask questions of yourself. Yeah, was deeply formational for me. Even in, as a pastor, just like you know, going through the pandemic, yes. going through life, it was formational for me. So, yeah, Dr. Kenyatta Gilbert, who's a friend of the show, his thought, his theology is massively influential to how I live and how I uh, preach and all the above. I quote an excerpt from Exodus preaching in How to Fight Racism. Yeah, yeah. When I'm talking about infusing mm -hmm. justice into your sermons, not just as a one-off, yeah. you know, this particular Sunday or whatever, but how can you actually analyze the text and find these themes within it? So shout out to Kenyatta Gilbert. We're going to do some more work with him too. Keep your eyes peeled. We're going to do some more work with him. So. That's amazing. <laughs> nice. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, number three for you. Okay. I mean, the last two are, are very predictable, but, you know, it's true. So my third is Fannie Lou Hamer. Yes. Historical hero of mine. Discovered who she was when I moved to the Delta a few years after. Actually, I had heard her name. I really didn't study her probably till I was beginning seminary in Jackson and I uh, 
met up with someone who's become a good friend, Dr. Otis Pickett, who's a historian, graduated from the University of Mississippi, and he was telling me more about Fannie Lou Hamer. And the, I mean, as soon as he sort of just sort of mentioned this remarkable woman born into a sharecropping family, uh, 20th of 20 children, 19th of 19. Um, wow. And then in her 40s becomes a civil rights activist. Not really intending to. She just wanted to go register to vote. Um, but through the sheer force of her faith, the convictions that she had around Christianity she became a national voice and leader in the civil rights movement, improbably, because I always say she had, uh, earthly speaking, the three strikes against her. She was poor, she was black, and she was a woman. Yeah. I mean, all the, that combination of things virtually guarantees you a life of anonymity at best, mm -hmm. right? And she was able to overcome and transcend that, and she did it all unapologetically as a Christian. And so she would pray, she would sing when she gave speeches, scripture was in there. And it was, she actually informed the way I, I do and think about history hmm. because in so many treatments of Fannie Lou Hamer, while they will mention her faith, it's never really central. Right. What's right. central no, in most analyses of Fannie Lou Hamer is her political activism. And I think more people are coming to understand it, but you really can't understand her political activism, let alone the, the broader civil rights movement, without understanding its foundations in the black church. Um, and she even had critiques for the black church oh, yeah, and definitely. black pastors, yeah, right? Very, very so her, her integrity and her authenticity, her lived witness, the last thing I'll say is what also st stands out to me, one of the things that made Fannie Lou Hamer remarkable is her credentials were unassailable. Hmm. There was no way you could question her commitment, her courage, her information, her wisdom, knowing she had grown up in the Mississippi Delta. Yes, yes. As a sharecropper, yes. the poorest of the poor. And there was an integrity to her witness that I think honestly... Among the black intelligentsia, even today, there's a, there appears to be a disconnect between the people who are in the ivory towers or on the news programs or writing the mm. books, right? Uh, and the folk, the, the, the day to day folks just trying to survive who don't have platforms, who may not have this extensive formal education and the, the realities they're truly daily living with. And what we talk about and how we talk about it at these other levels. Right, right. Right. So she just brought, she came into those environments with the best, with the brightest, with the most well known. And she, through the integrity of her experience. Yes. And the consistency of her witness was able to make a difference and make herself hurt. That to me is just That's mind boggling. Incredible. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> I could go on and on, you know. Yeah. Don't get me going on. I, I was Hamer. I was gonna put Fannie Lou Hamer in the ministry section, and I was like, Jamar's gonna talk about her. <laughs> the, I knew she's, it. She's worthy of two lists. <laughs> I knew Jamar was gonna Jamar was gonna talk about her. So that's beautiful, though. She deserves all the flowers. Didn't get them while she was living. Right. So. Right. Well, hey, this one is going so long, and we have so many appreciations. Let's make this a two-parter, okay, okay. Jamar? All, all right. right. Let's yes. get into it right here on Pass the Mic. 